0: You ready for the usual start?
1: Yes. Dun, 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 dun. Something like that.
0: <laughs> Shush. <laughs> Is serious? Sorry. Welcome to the St Emeline's podcast. I'm Ian Beardsall.
1: And I'm Liz Crow.
0: And it takes a worldwide pandemic for Liz and I to get together to chat. So it's obviously serious. Now is the time where we need a bit of Crow in our lives. We need some help. We need some guidance. We've done some stuff about the medicine. But really, Liz, the thing that seems to be bothering most people at the moment is frankly fear. So perhaps we could just spend a few minutes just talking about how we deal with that and what's going on in people's minds while they're trying to process everything that's going on around the world?
1: Well, I think, first of all, we've got lots of people around the world at different phases of this pandemic. So we have the people from China and Italy who are well into it. Several weeks down the track, pandemic is at its full force Whereas those of us in the UK, you're kind of just in the, in the beginning. Us in Australia and New Zealand are bracing, I guess. When we're talking it, we're going to talk generally about fear and anxiety and recognise that, pe- that people are at different phases. So I think for people everywhere, no matter what phase you are in this pandemic, anxiety and fear have unfortunately become a way of life right across the population. However, for first responders and people who work in critical care, that fear has a number of components to it. And so people's anxiety is real and it's warranted.
0: The one thing I've noticed is a real spectrum of anxiety from those who are, frankly, not laissez-faire about it. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're staying at home, as they've been told, but they're not too worried right down to the people who think it's going to wipe out their entire family. There is obviously many points along that spectrum. I'm more down the trying not to worry about it thing. But it's hard for me to understand sometimes those people who are down the, it's the end of the world as we know it. How do we understand each other and how we're feeling about this?
1: We're, we're living in this space of uncertainty. It doesn't matter what country you are in, this pandemic is you know, real and active, everybody is uncertain. We're uncertain for how long it's going to go on. We're uncertain about how it's going to affect our particular population. We're uncertain about how much information we need to know, we're uncertain if there is a, a threshold that if you learn enough, there's some way to contain it. Uncertainty is not really something this generation has had to deal with before. For people of our age, mo- most of us, anyway, have not really experienced war, uh, even if we've had service men and women in our lives, the war is something that very few of us have experienced. Very few of us have experienced a Great Depression or anything at a global level. Most of us weren't impacted by Ebola. We weren't impacted by SARS. So this is new territory. It doesn't matter how much you Google it or you research it, it remains uncertain. And I think the best thing that we can all do is understand that while we're all having a level of experience of this, what what people are going to be exposed to and how it's going to impact them will, like anything in humanity, remain very individual.
0: So we've got these different individuals who are feeling different things at different times, and that's going to make it really hard for us to know how best to help. Perhaps we can move on to think about what anxiety actually is. Is it something that we should just accept is what's going to happen over the next few weeks or is it something we should fight? How do we deal with that?
1: Well, first of all, I do think there's something we can do given that everyone's got such individual responses and that's just come from a place of compassionate understanding that Even if I'm in an ED working or an ICU working in the exact same environment as you being exposed to the exact same amount of patients, it doesn't mean we're going to have the same experience. People have all got a history and a background as well as underlying mental health capacity. And this is going to test most people to their limits. And some people may thrive in this environment. Some people may be very functional in the crisis and then you know find it very difficult down the track and some people may find this extremely difficult from start to finish. Feeling anxious and fear around this pandemic is actually a hundred percent normal. So fear and anxiety are very normal and in some ways beneficial emotions It's what keeps us safe. It's what stops us from running over a cliff. It's what when we're walking to our car late at night and you're a woman and you hear someone beside you, it makes you heightened and acutely aware because it's trying to keep you safe. And I think lots of people talk about having anxiety in this century. And for some people, that anxiety is based around things that they don't know. They're anxious about everything and it has no specific cause. However, in this pandemic situation, um, what we know is that actually the anxiety and the fear is real, it's grounded, it has a a very genuine basis. I think for health professionals, this anxiety and fear is escalated because it's not just what we've got to do for our patients, we're being exposed to um, stories and um, reports that health professionals are actually dying and they're dying, we're being told, despite taking precautions. And the data behind that is not clear. We know that in China, initially, a number of healthcare professionals died until they got their PPE organized and sorted. And then we saw that number rapidly drop off. We know in Italy, tragically, there's also been a number of health professionals die, but they're saying that they're of an older age group and we're not sure of their PPE. So I think our anxiety and fear is very real and it's grounded on something real. However, how do we recognise that our fear and anxiety is very real in a very abnormal situation, but how do we actually contain that and control that so that we can still get rest and we can still recover and we can still do the job that we need to do?
0: So as of today, which is the 25th of March, we are in what's being called lockdown in the UK. And one of the things that I've noticed I've been doing definitely is you can't help but pick up your phone and flick through social media. I've enjoyed Twitter over the years, but Twitter now is nothing but coronavirus. And there are some really, really helpful bits, some sharing of knowledge I can use in everyday practice and can inform. But there's also some stuff which is which is frankly unnecessary, scaremongering, who knows if it's true. And I've been thinking really hard about whether to just come off social media. What place do you think social media has? And how can we use that in a positive way and not let its negatives overwhelm us? I think that's probably an idea for when this pandemic passes. But for today, what should I do with my Twitter feed, my Facebook? And for those who have Instagram and Snap, it's just covered in coronavirus.
1: Misinformation and overload of information is spreading much faster than this disease. Um, It's become a secondary pandemic is probably the way to think about it. Um, All of us have a capacity of resources. So if you think of yourself as a bucket, you know, some of us are born half full, some of us are born to the brim. And for some of us, it takes a lot for that bucket to start to empty. For others of us, that bucket empties very quickly. And for some of us, we can refill quickly. And for others, it takes a real concentrated effort. What is being asked of us as health professionals is exhausting in itself. It's fearful. It's dangerous in some ways. It's going to test us physically, mentally, and emotionally. There are issues around resources. There's moral distress, all of those things around And what I think is happening is that people are working very long days, whatever stage of the pandemic they're in, I know that, we're still trying to run an intensive care unit. There are still deaths of things that have nothing to do with COVID-19. So it's busy clinically anyway. But at the same time, we've got demands for long meetings, writing protocols, attending simulations, thinking things through. The UK is already in lockdown. You're already seeing COVID-19 patients, depending where you are, at, at different variations. And then Europe's at a different phase. And then of course, China's Asia's at a different phase. It's almost like we think if we saturate ourselves with enough information, our anxiety is going to subside. If we saturate ourselves with enough information, we're going to be 100% prepared. If we saturate ourselves with enough information, it means that we're going to be physically safe. And, of course, none of those things are true. All of us have a responsibility to ourselves and to our loved ones to actually say, right, this this is the amount of time that I'm going to give to COVID-19 today And the rest of the time, I'm going to fill my bucket and I'm going to stay present with my loved ones. Or if you live by yourself, I'm going to stay present with myself and I'm going to have some time out. And some of that takes some real thought. I was trying to decide for myself, I was just trying to have some COVID free time the other day, trying to find something on TV that wasn't overstimulating, not too violent, not too doom and gloom. And this is very daggy, Ian, but I have started watching Anne with an E on Netflix, which is the story of Anne of Green Gables. And she's a feisty redhead. So I feel like I've got some things in common with her and there's no swearing and it's all very innocent, naive, and it's almost like a comfort thing. It's returning to my childhood. I think lots of people, when I go to work, are saying, what are you watching? You know, what can we do to have some escapism? The other big problem around this is that a lot of us, and me included, my number one mental health strategy is exercise. And the gyms are closed, Pilates is closed, pools are closed. Everything that you normally do has almost become difficult to achieve. So we have to find new ways to exercise, new ways to find those releases. And all of those things, I think, well, for me personally, add to my anxiety. So I have to have a conscious choice to switch off from the COVID-19 stuff so that I can create some space to create new routines to do self-care in order to be able to do what I need to do for COVID-19. It's very cyclical, I
0: think. For me, it's been rather strange time as I've been waiting for this tsunami to hit. In Southampton, it just hasn't happened yet. And actually what's happening now is that we're seeing fewer patients in the emergency department. We've set it up as two streams. So we've got some going to a respiratory side, some going to a uh, normal, if you like, emergency side. But really, work has been okay, And I feel a bit of a fraud. All I can see on social media is thank you, NHS, NHS heroes, key workers and how important we all are. And I almost want this thing to start now to justify the fact that I've got all these people telling me that I've been doing really well. I won't say it's a guilt thing, and it might sound really strange, but there seems to be this idea that it's all going off. And there's almost a part of me now that will be, well, sad if it doesn't. On the other hand, I know that that's a better thing. So I'm still in this holding phase, if you like. Somebody on Twitter described it as a tsunami, where the tide's going out just before the great wave. And that's what it feels like to me. And so my anxiety is quite low down. My biggest mental problem is the fact that I feel like a fraud. Mm. I'm very lucky in that I don't have a leadership position in my department anymore. And I've just decided to be a follower. And that makes it much easier. So all I've decided is I will listen to what everyone else is telling me. I will trust the individuals who are leading me and I will do as I am told. I think it's hard for people who've been leaders or bright people or people who like to have their voice being heard, and I fit into probably two of those three categories, that we want to have our say. But actually, the best thing I can do right now is trust people and think that they're Bright and they're doing the best they can, and I will do as I am told. And that actually has done a lot to offload my mental stress. I think,
1: and that's what I'm saying. I think people are in all different phases, and I think that tsunami—that's where we are in Australia, New Zealand. The tide is out. We can hear the roar of the t- of the tsunami wave coming. We just—it just hasn't hit us yet. But we know. I think what we do know when you look at at what happens. We say, you know, in China there was this pandemic, in Italy there was this pandemic, but there are geographical hotspots there. people are literally inundated and overwhelmed and working 100 hours a week and still not able to provide everyone with a bed. And to the people who may listen from those areas, please don't think we're diminishing. We can't even begin to imagine what you've been through. But it doesn't matter which phase of this pandemic you're in. You have to find micro ways to escape anxiety and fear. Um, You know, you have to still look after your body. There's almost you know, go back to the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Are you eating? Are you drinking? Are you resting where you can? And I think, you know, I'm concerned because people are describing what's happening on social media as this constant noise. And, you know, there are people who know nothing about medicine who are making these outlandish statements, you know, there's political things that are going on across the globe. And for people who are first responders and in critical care, We've got to listen to what's important. We've got to hone in. And that's not just about COVID-19. You know, like my 15-year-old son, when I give him space, he's stressed. And he says to me, you know, if you have to go into quarantine, mum, because I'm a single parent, if you go into quarantine, what happens to us? Like, where do we go? Do you stay in quarantine in the house? Does that mean we go into quarantine with you? They, they all know enough that they're frightened and we've got to be present enough to hear that for all of our loved ones. For some people, that anxiety and fear is harder to contain because they're separated from their loved ones. I see lots of things, again, on social media where people have made decisions not to live with their family or their young children children there's some very emotive things on um, social media for the nurses and doctors and for the people who are first responders and paramedics and people like myself who who will continue to be in the front line it's hard to watch that stuff because you think is that going to be me Is that going to be something I have to do? And then what happens if it's not? We've had this big build-up and everyone thinks we're a hero and it hasn't. Are we honest about that or how do we volunteer and help out people who are completely overwhelmed and swamped? We've got fears around fears that may eventuate or may not eventuate and that's why I think all of us have to create some space, micro and macro spaces, where we can just think there is other things apart from What's going on with COVID? And certainly in Australia, you know, it's weird. I did a walk at quarter past five this morning. There was a beautiful sunrise. I was looking over the ocean. It was perfect weather. And it's kind of hard to hold this space of like, wow, the whole world is in this pandemic, but life is going on. I've got other weird things like running out of toilet paper and people fighting over packets of pasta, even though there's not a food shortage. So there's lots to be fearful and anxious about. And I don't think, you know, to say, walk the dog and it's all going to go away. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is that our mind very much drives what happens to our body, our mood, and then our behavior. In this context, we have to bring our best selves forward, even when we're tired, even when we're exhausted or frustrated or morally distressed, we have to bring our best selves forward. And the only way we can do that is just try to fill the tank whenever we get an opportunity to do so. For those of us who are still waiting for the tsunami, you know, have your plan now. What's going to be your M with an E, pointless, naive thing to watch on Netflix? Or how are you going to exercise when everything is shut and the weather is terrible? Have you made some meals and have you frozen them so when you get home way after you, and you shouldn't have finished and you're worried about whether you're can you've been contaminated or you're going to contaminate someone else, that you can at least eat something that's nourishing and you have groceries in your cupboard. We have to pace ourselves. This is a marathon of which we actually have no real concept of what the end point is. And we can't be sprinting now. We especially can't be sprinting if we don't even have patience yet.
0: It's really interesting, isn't it? There's a lot of echoes between what you've just said and what we've always said about well-being and having a plan. Mm. Over the last few years, well-being's become a very... Uh hot topic, hasn't it? Almost yeah. to the extent that I've started to stop listening. We've always said, just have a plan for yourself. And one of the key things is it responses are very individual, aren't they? Yeah, so very. currently my anxiety is that I have three boys. I share the care of them with my ex-spouse and they're currently with her and they should be with her until the end of the week. And then I should see my boys next week. But I actually don't know whether I'm going to see them because if one of them gets poorly, then they will go into isolation and the household will be in isolation. So they can't see me. If I get poorly, is it irresponsible of me to have them over here if I'm doing fine and going, that's my hardest stress. But for lots of people that wouldn't even cross their mind. I think that's the same for me. I've got lots of opinions about other people's stresses and I just need to understand that people are coming from a different place. We all have different levels of stress. And the best we can do, I think, is, you're right, bring up ourselves, have an individual plan for ourselves about how we're going to look after ourselves and those around us, to be kind. There's been a lot about being kind recently. Mm. And actually maybe see the positives in what will come out of this. Because it does seem to me that the world has a chance almost of resetting and becoming a bit of a better place. And there's a lot of positives I think we can take. What, what do you think, Liz, are the positives you would say that we can all take out of this to try and damp down our own individual anxiety that we can make ourselves feel better a little bit over the next days and weeks?
1: Well, I think, you know, about having a plan for self-care, I I was laughing. When you go to the grocery store or to the shops, there, there are a number of things that are missing. So, you know, toilet paper, tissues, pasta, rice. But it's getting impossible to buy plants. And I think that's because people are getting into gardening. You know, people are getting, are going to have to go back to kind of real traditional values of what we did when we all stayed home. So, you know, we've been dusting off the board games. Both my boys have got pending birthdays and we're in isolation and what's that going to look like and i was like well you know maybe we could have a game of pictionary even if we do it online about really connecting with one another i think that's really important tonight i cooked something new that we'd never cooked before just because we're experimenting. oh liz
0: liz liz the <laughs> uh, thing's not bad enough as it is those poor children no, oh. it was
1: delicious. but i think you know a lot of us ca- are coming into this with a cognitive overload I think a lot of people started this pandemic already feeling overwhelmed by life. There are a lot of people who are also going to have financial, you know, huge financial um, consequences of this. The fear and anxiety is real, but manage that cognitive overload. What do you have to look at? Like, do you have a novel or something light to look at? Take your phone out of your room. Give yourself some space to sleep when you've got the got the chance. Check in on your colleagues, check in on your partner, check in on your children, check in on yourself. You know, self-awareness, I've always harped on about this, but Self-awareness is going to be so important in all of this because we're going to have to do this over a duration of time and how we stop ourselves from being having compassion fatigue, physical fatigue, emotional fatigue. You know, we're already hearing people say, I'm so sick of COVID-19 and for a number of countries, we, we haven't even got, we're not even there yet. I think also when people have real fear about, you know, like when one of my kids said, was I worried about dying from COVID-19? And there's a part of me that thinks I'm fit, I'm healthy. Um, I know it can still happen, but, you know, i have got the odds with me. But also I have prepared. I've written a letter for my kids to say this is how you access the bank accounts. I've done an enduring power of attorney. Feeling prepared even for the worst-case scenario of your own death actually does help. I've written down what songs I'd want at my funeral so that wouldn't cause stress to my children. It might seem macabre, but actually being prepared can help calm your anxiety. I look around at my health colleagues, physicians I know, the nurses I know, the paramedics I know, right around the world, and I think, you know what, if I get sick, I'm in bloody good hands. I trust these people. I trust that they'll take good care of me. And I trust that even if I was to die, they will be respectful and they will care about me, whether they know me or don't know me. You know, being able to assure ourselves at all times, there will still be moments where we can laugh at our exhaustion and we can laugh at the things that we're doing and we need to stick together fiercely. And what I'm seeing, wherever people are in this pandemic, is people working at, to the fullest of their capacity. You know, I know you feel guilty about this, Ian, but we, we have hard jobs all the time and the community's not aware of that. And for the first time, it's been brought to the light. And I think, you know, we have a thing in Queensland where it's like adopt a health professional, where people are asking to adopt health professionals and make meals or look after kids or come and do your ironing. I mean, that level of kindness is overwhelming and it's remarkable. And won't it be great if after this terrible pandemic people continue to do that, continue to care about and be aware of their neighbours because we've lost some of those traditional values and if we could go back to them, the world will be a much better place despite this terrible adversity.
0: So maybe the world will be a better place when this has all been and done and I think our overriding messages are be kind to yourself. If you can, be kind to others, make a plan and that this too will pass and when it has... There's a chance we'll all have learned quite a lot about ourselves and each other, but it will all be okay in the end, I am sure. Liz, it's always lovely to talk to you. I'm sure we'll talk again in the next few weeks. Maybe in a couple of weeks' time, the wave will have hit and we'll be in a different place and we can talk about that and how to deal with that. To our colleagues around the world, whatever stage you are at of this pandemic, we are thinking of you. It feels like we're doing this all together. And above all, please take care.
1: Take care, everybody.